Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Designing effective and enjoyable online and blended learning experiences requires some specific strategies. In this episode, I'm speaking to a leader in online and blended learning who works with school districts, state departments of education, colleges and universities, and other educational organizations across the United States to enable them to build successful online and blended programs for educators and students. Barbara Tracy is adjunct lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, as well as for the Harvard Graduate School of Education professional education programs. Throughout her career, Barbara has led projects in online and blended learning across a wide spectrum of organizations and industries, including currently serving as co-chair of Digital Promises Education Leadership Institute, working with district leaders from across the United States in an online institute to support planning and implementation of online blended and hybrid learning during the COVID crisis and beyond. Barbara also served as a consultant to the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation to develop blended curriculum and capacity building facilitator training for their national leadership in blended learning program and is the former chair of the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education's Digital Learning Advisory Council, and recently served as their consultant on virtual school accountability. Thank you very much, Barbara, for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Throughout your career, you have worked on many important projects in blended and online learning. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the most interesting projects that you've worked on? Yeah, every I love every pro- project that I've been involved in. Um, I'm involved in two wonderful online learning projects right now, online and blended. One is something called the Education Leadership Institute that I'm working on in partnership with a national organization, Digital Promise. And we are working with teams of education leaders from across the from districts across the country in an online environment that includes both synchronous as well as asynchronous components to work with them over the course of the year to plan and share their plans about the response to the pandemic, the Mm -hmm. shifts to online and blended and remote and all of the words understanding what they're doing and trying to improve their systems for working with students and teachers and and the community. And it's really been inspiring to be in close contact with these district leaders from a wide range of districts that are just working day and night to understand how to best meet the needs of their students, their educators, their community Mm -hmm. under incredibly challenging and constantly changing circumstances. So I, I just feel treated to be able to learn from and be inspired by the kinds of questions um, and the kinds of solutions that they're sharing both in a very robust month-long online discussion. We have topical 
sessions each month on a core planning issue. And in the middle of each month is a synchronous session where they they get to interact and work in small groups and really learn and share plans with each other. That's one current project. And another current project, very different, I've developed the first course on creativity. It's a totally asynchronous six-week cohort-based online course for teachers that came with a group of New York City educators in it now. And they are so excited to be in a course that is kind of, that is not about the crisis. It's an online course, but it's helping them actually think about how to bring deeper learning and creative activities into their work with their students. That's wonderful. And it must be interesting, particularly now when far greater number of people have gone online for learning experiences. You said that you've also learned a lot in creating online and blended experiences during this time. What were some of the key things that you learned Seeing how all of the ways teachers are working as quickly as they can to develop their skills and create positive learning experiences for their students. I've heard from a lot of administrators that they may have been trying to move their teachers to use online tools and digital learning and experiment with a lot of the resources that they had brought into their districts. And it wasn't until the pandemic that it became, you know, it was urgent and universal that even some, you know, the resistors had to jump in. And as teachers are getting used to it, I'm hearing a lot of pride in the new ways that they're teaching their experiments with more project-based learning, more student-centered approaches, because they're realizing they're not able to teach in the same way as they may have. Lectures are going out the door if that was something that used to be more of a focus of of the way teachers taught if the students were Mm. um, full-time in their classroom, but they're not controlling exactly when students learn and exactly how students learn. And they're realizing that's empowering for the students and it's Mm. liberating teachers to think about different pedagogical approaches. Definitely a lot of interesting and wonderful things that are coming out of this time. And we'll delve into more of that to get your expertise in this field. There's been such a big change in the recent year in online and blended learning and so many more people using it. But this has been around for quite some time and you've been leading in this field for a long time. How have you seen blended and online learning change in the recent years? I mean, even prior to the pandemic, how did you see this field change? Yeah, well, one thing is, as I just mentioned, there are, because everybody is using, educators are, are moving to use online and blended models kind of universally, they're actually starting to see some power in those models. So it's becoming more mainstream, even in the imperfect ways that districts are rushing to incorporate these models. There's still a lot of learning about, hmm, there's things I can do and I may not go back to, for example, live face-to-face staff meetings where the administrator may go through a long list of announcements and Mm -hmm. not being very interactive. I've heard about administrators who now realize they can send out the announcements digitally. They don't have to call people together. And staff meetings are becoming interactive Zoom meetings 
or even more teacher-led Zoom meetings just because they have to be rethought. I'm seeing a lot of rethinking and recognition that maybe we won't go back to doing some of the things that needed to be upgraded. Um, We'll incorporate some of those strategies. Another interesting thing that I've noticed both during the pandemic as well as in some recent years, a lot of the lessons that we were learning many years ago in the early days of online learning, and I I think the first online trainings I was developing was in 1999, and another super interesting project where we were working with districts across the country to help them build their capacity for online learning and, and training people to teach online and to develop online courses for their districts. And we learned a lot of things along the way then when there were so many fewer tools and so much more limited ways of doing things. Most of it was text-based, but we still learned how to build a robust interactive learning environment with lots of focus on community building and facilitation and instructor um, roles were very important to build connections and to build relationships with the participants. That understanding that we had to make communities come to life online, even with the limited tools, those lessons are kind of being relearned by people who are coming into the field newer. When you look at the research coming out of, for example, the MOOC movement, which is starting to look back on some of their early models, which are still fairly recent, and they're coming to conclusions like, oh, what if we had more engagement? What if we Mm. had more peer-to-peer learning? What if there was more feedback by the instructor? I'm noticing a lot of the lessons just because of the the large expansion, people are are working hard to try to improve. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing lessons being relearned. And sometimes I feel like, well, some of these things we were figuring out, maybe if there was more popularization of the lessons learned and some of the research that was done in the early years, it might've helped people move forward faster, Mm -hmm. but it's nice to see these lessons being thought about and incorporated into designs. That's really good. And as you said, hopefully now it's going to get embedded in and we don't have to relearn these these lessons, but it's also really important to have people like you who have been doing this work to share these lessons for people who might not have been aware of it, because it's such an important thing. As you said, the field has learned so many important things and those need to be integrated rather than relearned and experienced. And so what are some of the ways that make for good blended and online learning experience? And of course, there's a lot, but what are some of the key things that you think makes for a good experience? Great question. Um, One of the things that is top of mind that I was mentioning is the importance of active facilitation by a thoughtful facilitator or instructor. Having a teaching presence by the facilitator or the instructor to support participants, create a warm environment, answer questions, facilitate progress. There can be different models of more or less facilitation but having some instructor role or facilitator role that is available to support participant progress is pretty important in strong models that have participants sticking with the learning experience. Mm -hmm. And is that because they feel their questions are being answered, they're being supported? Like what is the essence that people should keep in mind as facilitators? Or is it a community that is being formed? I think all of that, it's very easy to disappear when you're in in an online learning environment. 
even if that's not your intention, but things can come to the fore that are going to interfere with the time you intended to spend on the course. And if there is not, say it's an asynchronous course, if there aren't scheduled times to meet like in a face-to-face course, that's meeting once a week at two o'clock on Thursdays, it's easy to let that slip because mm-hmm. you can do it anytime in any place. And so you can put it off with active facilitation. The facilitator can serve to keep everybody moving, keep everybody engaged, provide reminders, and also address, you know, everyone is different and has different needs to get engaged in this kind of learning environment. There are some participants who need the outreach of a human, even if the human is through technology, to make them feel comfortable and at ease Mm -hmm. if they're going to put themselves out there. If they can't see the person, if they can't feel their presence, if the instructor creates using the tools that are at hand, creates a warm environment, a safe environment, a welcoming environment, For some participants, this is important for them Mm -hmm. to get over the hump of, you know, I don't know who anybody is. I don't know, you know, why should I put myself out there? So there's lots of different reasons why a facilitator can really help different participants with different needs. Yes, there really are. And and having that sense of belonging to and commitment to, because as you said, lessons learned from MOOCs. One of the big ones being that a surprisingly, extremely high percentage of people never finish a MOOC, even though they came to it out of their own free will. But life gets in the way. The benefit of anywhere, anytime learning has also the downfall of anywhere, anytime with life creeping into every corner and squeezing it out. So that's that's really good to have the facilitators be very involved and very effective. Another very important feature of an effective online or a blended environment is a clear and consistent design. Um, This is especially important in a fully online environment, no matter what model. Participants have to come in and not have the technology get in the way. So they want to come into the online environment, know where they're going to find what they need to do, not have to learn a new structure every single week or every single session. That has to be intuitive. It has to be clear. It has to be not complicated. When I used to train online course designers, I always started with keep in mind, less is more. Mm. Shut off everything in your course management system or in the environment you're designing in that you're not going to use. Don't clutter it up and have consistent structure so that students, participants feel like they know what their online classroom looks like. They have Mm -hmm. a home base and they can come in and know where to go and, and where to pick up. Related to that is carefully curated content. So sometimes online programs think, oh, this, you know, you can just, there's so much good material and it's so easy to just add more. And often online courses become gigantic. There's mm-hmm. just tons and tons of resources instructional designer or the instructor is hesitant to make the decision about what to limit because there's room and they found Mm -hmm. so, so many good resources. And I always explain that if you don't make a tight design, then the participants are going to be picking and choosing because if you've got too much If you promise that a course is going to say take two hours a week, but you have eight hours of potential things to read, 
they're going to read two hours worth. Mm -hmm. And so you should be proactive in designing your content very, very tightly so that you're guiding them into a thoughtful process of learning. Absolutely. And so often too much choice actually ends up leading and end up doing a lot less, end up reading a lot less than they would have if you would have curated it very tightly because it's so overwhelming. Oh my goodness, where do I begin with this long reading list? That's not to say that choice can't be built into an online course and personalized pathways can be wonderful things to incorporate, Mm -hmm. but you should be clear that that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. There are online courses that I've designed, even in the creativity course that I was talking about, um, which is for educators of all subject areas and grade levels. So in certain sessions, there are resources that I have curated for various grade bands like elementary, middle, and high school, as well as certain subject areas. And the directions are follow the pathway that's most appropriate to you. But it isn't just a long list and people have to filter through this, all these good things, no matter what grade level, filtering it. But it is also engaging to have pathways where appropriate that participants can say, oh, this is speaking specifically to me and I'm going to follow this pathway. It also, if it's a learning community model, learning environment, participants with some different resources that they're, that they're accessing, if they come together and are sharing their learning in that environment, everybody is still going to learn from the perspectives and the things that other people read and explored. So it, it can be very powerful, but you still have to be well and tightly designed. Absolutely. That clarity is so important. And I think in both of those points, the key is the clarity that it comes down to clarity that the technology that you're using is easy to use. It's clear what you're doing and how you've designed this course and it's not getting into the way and, and also, you know, curated and best ones to look at, even though there's so many out there, um, because it is very overwhelming, even when you know the technology, just the fact that this week we're going to be on Slack, next week we're going to be on something else, and the, it, it becomes very difficult to, to keep up. So it's really important to keep that design. And I know there's so many other important points in this, which is what you teach in your many courses and, and do in your work. But to to move on, what do you think are some of the misconceptions about blended and online learning? And I'm sure these days that has come up quite a bit. There are many, depending on your who you are, there may be some big misconceptions. For teachers, I think many teachers went into the shift to remote or online learning, thinking that they could do what they were doing, and their administrators may have thought the same thing, that they could do what they were doing and their face-to-face classroom, but just do it through Zoom or just put it all in an online course environment and not realizing that you can meet the same learning goals. That's really fun to think about how you're going to meet the key learning goals that are um, the mission of your course. But because of a different modality, whether it's face-to-face or blended or online, your path to doing that has to be rethought. Mm -hmm. Um, So depending on the modality, you're going to design to take advantage of that particular modality and to to work with it. So not realizing that you can't just digitize what you were doing in the classroom face to face and have that be an effective online or blended experience. Well, I was just thinking that some students used to think that online learning was going to be the easy way out. 
that is also, you know, in some cases it may be, but that's in many cases, students are finding that it's because of the opportunity to participate at 100% when they have control over their time and their space and their ability to be thoughtful. And it actually is often much harder in a good way experience and students are reporting spending more time on their online courses than they may have in their face-to-face courses where content just keeps moving on. So it's, it's a misconception that it's just easier. And for teachers, what are maybe one or two examples that teachers can do in rethinking? What are one or two things that they could be doing differently? One thing teachers are realizing is they can transition to more projects. So they don't have to have all of their students doing the same assignment Mm -hmm. at the same time as maybe they had been doing in their face-to-face classroom, but they can provide activities or projects that take advantage of the fact that students, A, have more access to technology than they may have before. So there's lots of resources and they're more used to using those resources. So there could be explorations that are done with the advantage of access to technology that are also, because the teacher is not controlling when students are learning as much as they may have, students can delve into their own projects and their own passions in a way that is really nice when schools and administrators are encouraging that and teachers are taking advantage of that. Mm. So that's one thing that I'm seeing and it's, it's pretty powerful. Absolutely. That is a really good thing. And so for teachers and instructors, but what are some tips and things that they should remember on how to teach differently than they would in a traditional classroom? One thing that we've been talking about is everything doesn't have to be synchronous. Mm -hmm. So realizing that everything doesn't have to be synchronous and everything doesn't have to be whole group. For example, teachers can also set students off with things to do for the afternoon or for a couple of days. And they can maybe take advantage of the opportunity to meet, even if it's virtually, with individual students to work on their progress. Again, many online teachers, as well as online students, are talking about knowing each other more. Students are saying they know their teachers better in the online environment. They have much more access to them. They're more used to emailing them with a question And teachers are also feeling like they're knowing how their students are doing um, because they're seeing more data just that may be given off by the tools. So know that everything doesn't have to be whole group or synchronous. You can use different tools to do different things, but you don't have to use a ton of tools. You can have a powerful online or blended experience with simple tools. Well, I mean, this is a powerful tool, but with the internet, And with just a basic suite of either Google or Microsoft tools for writing and sharing and collaborating, you know, Word or Google Docs, um, shared slides, Mm -hmm. those tools can be very, very powerful for students working together, for getting things done without teachers feeling like, oh my goodness, I have to learn a hundred new apps in order to teach online. You can not worry Mm -hmm. about that. No, that's a really good thing because there are so many resources out there and so many different apps, but really thinking about the essence, I guess, and thinking, what are the tools that I know that can accomplish the essence in different ways? 
But what do you think teachers are finding challenging as they are teaching online or in blended circumstances? The thing I hear most often is how to keep all students engaged will work naturally for a subset and more will get engaged with the kinds of efforts that teachers are developing the skills as well as the whole school community to reach all students. But still, it's a pretty hard challenge to ensure that all students feel connected and all students feel comfortable, as well as all of the educators Mm -hmm. in that environment. So it is a lot of new skill development in order to figure out what can you Mm -hmm. do to have an online voice and presence that will engage all of your students. You know, as we've talked, it's still a different environment and teachers may have honed those skills to be funny and personalized and get to know their students when they were meeting with them face-to-face. All those things need to be done in the online environment and can be done, but you just have to have the opportunity to develop and refine those skills. Yes. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to learn because I think that's the main thing that has come out from everything that I've seen through the pandemic. The main thing that teachers are having trouble with is the engagement. How do I create a community? How do I get to know my students? Because it's different ways of doing that online. It can be done, but it's a different way of doing it. And so For example, teachers say often that they look at their screen and so many of the screens are blank and the students are not there. What advice would you give to a teacher to help the engagement? What would you tell them? They could be using live kind of Zoom technologies too much. So it could be students are tuning out because it's just been one Mm -hmm. class and one period after another, day after day. And you know how we feel when we're in unlimited Zoom or whatever tool that you're using. So one thing they should look at is are they overusing the live meetings or other ways to um, provide instructional materials and to have collaborative work that is not necessarily in a synchronous video meeting. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing that I'm hearing from districts that are more successful, they are bringing the whole school community together to support the teachers. So it takes a village, school districts and schools are devoting other staff to support the teachers in reaching and making those personal connections with students. Um, So it's a lot for a teacher to try to reach each one of those students. And they're, you know, they're using other staff, whether it was the librarian or other roles that were in the school, maybe repurposed as kind of outreach people, they're developing some new job titles so that there are people devoted to reaching the more difficult to reach students and families, including home visits. It's another thing that a lot of districts are doing, um, but that takes time and it takes people. So developing a team to work with a teacher in in the most ideal setup, and this doesn't happen everywhere, but both developing a team of other professionals in the district to help make the connections, as well as paying attention to the relationship with the families, with the parents and the families at home. This is another huge part of making online or hybrid learning work. It takes time in both the district or the school overall, as well as the individual teacher has to figure out 
what are her strategies to engage and get information and help the parent be supportive of their child's learning in her classroom. And is that a matter of for the parents to understand how the learning is happening in this new format, but also to advise the parents on how they can support their children in different ways? Is that what they're discussing? Sure, as well as maybe even giving the parents some training in the tools that they're children are using. Some districts are creating parent universities and parent academies, and they're actually providing online courses or webinars for parents to to bring them into. This is what they're doing. These are the tools your child is using. This is what they're expected to do. And parents are getting new skills. And it can be a very exciting, improved partnership between Mm -hmm. schools and parents because of this. Again, that's kind of a silver lining that is not happening everywhere, but it's happening in a lot of districts that a much better relationship between the schools and the community can be emerging. And that's how there's more success engaging the kids. That's really good. I mean, those home visits and really building the community and the strength of that community is always important, but even more so in these situations. I really like that idea to engage other staff, especially now where maybe the librarian isn't in the library and maybe the library is closed, but engaging them to help create that outreach. How are they reaching out to the students? So there's the family visits that you've seen, but how are they reaching out? Is that a phone call? What, what are some of the things that they're doing? One of the most powerful pandemic tools is the telephone. And that was not necessarily obvious as people move to this model. Mm -hmm. But when you realized a personal phone call to the house or to the student goes miles in terms of making that personal connection, answering questions, solving what may be a simple technical problem or finding out that the internet isn't working in my house, mm-hmm. any number of things, but teachers as well as there's the rest of the support staff and administration are realizing a phone call to the family or to the parents just does wonders. And having regular contact, calling all of your families on some regular schedule is something that some districts are instituting. And it may not all be like I'm saying on the teacher personally, it may be on the team. That's really good. And it's very much about finding out because there's so many roadblocks to learning that have nothing to do with the person actually wanting to learn and being able to learn. But as you said, maybe the internet connection is down. Who knows? There's a whole list of different things that could be happening. So checking in and finding out or simply just creating that community of how is it going? You may find out that the social emotional needs and the economic needs are primary. And again, and under the current circumstances with all of the economic impacts that the pandemic has created and job loss and food insecurity, finding out who needs help on that front, which creates a barrier to learning until those issues are solved the students aren't going to be able to be actively engaged in their learning. So those are some of the other things that you may learn by building that relationship with the family and and reaching out one way or another. And it's important to remember that often in these huge technological change, 
looking at what the purpose is, often the simplest tool is really what gets you there. So in this case, the telephone, that's really wonderful. So what do you see happening over and over again in blended and online, both teaching and learning that you wish would change? Again, what I see is people think online learning is a digital textbook. Mm-hmm. Think you you can digitize the worksheets that you had, or you can use an online app, and that's going to be equivalent to teachers teaching and being able to answer questions. Just a different design approach, and the teaching part of it still has to be, or the facilitation part of it still has to be central. It's not enough to provide digital versions of content, Mm -hmm. and that is a hard lesson to learn, especially when People are rushing to try to set something up and have students with some learning resources, but it's really not enough. Some districts in the early days of the school closures and the pandemic were literally making packets of copies of the textbook chapters or worksheets, putting them together in PDFs or putting them together in packets and sending school buses to deliver them to neighborhoods when those packets weren't doing anything. So either copies of what you were doing in class, the biggest problem that I wish we would get over is that's not the best way to do online and blended learning. And there's so many powerful things we can do. You know, I guess a a second thing I want to sneak in there is the need for training because we're, or professional learning, which I prefer calling it. If we cannot build in time to learn these new approaches and these methods, you know, that's what the default will be. Mm -hmm. And that's a a really important point, because, of course, in an emergency situation, which this has been, you know, Xeroxing and sending out school buses, really, you know, you can't rethink your whole model. And that's you do what you can. And that's the best that can happen. But as you said, moving forward, it is really all about professional development, because this isn't something that comes naturally. It's something that everyone has to learn. I find that that's often a misconception just because you're proficient in using technologies in your life. It's assumed that you should be perfectly fine using technologies in your teaching, but it's a different method. It's a different world. It's a different way of thinking about it. And that needs to be taught. So For someone listening and thinking, yes, I do want to rethink this, and I realize I need to rethink the way I teach online or do blended learning, but I feel very overwhelmed because I don't really know where to begin, and there's so many things out there. What would you suggest that where should they begin? I'm hearing from so many educators that one thing the pandemic has created is more collaboration with teachers and whether it's in a school or educators finding other educators online, whether it's through Twitter or through other communities and sharing websites. My suggestion is pick one thing to add to your bag of tricks at a time, and you don't have to add a total Mm -hmm. of a lot of them, but seek out other educators if they're in your school or in your district, sometimes simply across a grade level and using some of the tools that you're using with your students, setting up a Zoom meeting with the other fourth grade teachers mm-hmm. and sharing your worries and your stress points and getting some suggestions just from your two or three colleagues. It doesn't have to go to the administration and helping them with theirs and sharing some resources. 
that is leading to confidence mm -hmm. as well as powerful ways of improving the practice. And if you don't have that opportunity to collaborate with your colleagues, go on Twitter. I learn every single day from Twitter and from other online communities. I know not Twitter isn't for everyone, mm -hmm. but finding other educators, there's a generous commitment by educators to share, you know, Google search and you'll find so many strategies and websites and suggestions. Find one thing at a time to try. And that's the best you can do. And it, it's as you master one new strategy, maybe you'll want to add something on. Maybe you'll be going back and sharing and helping somebody else with that. So that's my suggestion. Absolutely. Having that community and sharing knowledge, resources, and experiences is so powerful. And that happens online and in person. And of course, there's the wonderful courses that you also teach at the professional education programs at Harvard Graduate School of Education, which not only does great teaching and great resources, but also creates great communities within those courses. So that's a wonderful opportunity as well. We now have a series of courses, strategies for online teaching and learning, and mm -hmm. then a follow-up online course that builds on the skills learned in the first course. And one beauty of getting involved in an online course to develop your skills is you are experiencing learning in the environment that you Absolutely. are trying to develop those skills as a teacher. So you can reflect on, hmm, this works for me, or this doesn't work for me. And you can think about how to incorporate it. But you're absolutely right. If you we do have a series of courses, you'll meet other educators and get to get get to absorb ideas from across the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, very important. And the link will be also below for that. I mean, there's a lot more that we can talk about. And of course, there's huge courses on these topics. But right now, if you can just tell me what is emerging as a new practice, new technology affordances and blended and online learning, what's coming up that people should be looking out for? Hmm. What I like that has emerged, but there's new ways that it's developing are just collaborative content creation tools that are either free or very inexpensive, um, very accessible, very easy to learn to use for both educators as well as for their students. A very exciting and powerful way for students to collaborate both in an online environment as well as even if you're meeting in a bricks and mortar school, these tools to collaboratively make videos or multimedia presentations or shared documents or posters, those kinds of tools that are just proliferating and were not around several years back are so exciting for the ways we can both innovate in an online course as well as innovate in a traditional classroom mm. environment. So keeping an eye out for that and being delighted at the decreasing learning curve to use these when these tools first came out, these types of tools, they used to take a long time, you know, or longer for me yes. anyway to use, but now students can pick them up 
so quickly as well as educators. And it's pretty exciting what you can do and the kinds of new ways students can demonstrate their learning and get to actually deeper learning by the multimedia ways that they're able to demonstrate what they've done. That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's demonstrating their true learning in different ways that really they can show what they've come away with and what they've learned. Well, before we end, I always like to ask if there's something that you read or watch that inspires you in this field. Well, as I said, I read every single day. I learn from educators every day. But one resource I would love to share is the blog and digital textbook by a professor, a Canadian professor, Dr. Tony Bates, who a bunch of years ago, I think it's now don't remember, it might be about six years ago, he developed a free online digital textbook called Teaching in the Digital Age. He made it available. It's been translated into many, many languages. Just, you know, lots of people are accessing it, kind of put together. He's, he's been a leader in the field of online learning for a whole career. Very, very wise the second edition just came out about two years ago. Um, if you if you just search or I can send you the link for Tony Bates, Teaching in the Digital Age. I use chapters of this in my own courses that I teach, refer it to other people. And in addition to this textbook that really covers like every type of thing that your questions address, there are very readable chapters with examples of multimedia online textbook. He also is is a fairly prolific blogger and very provocative blogs about what he's observing in the field of online and blended learning. Two recent ones we actually just read in my class. One is called The Importance of Intangibles. And he's kind of provoking you to think about, for those who say face-to-face is, I just have to learn face-to-face. He's trying to figure out what are they looking for? What do they think is is so important about the Mm face-to-face environment? And can you do that online? So he's kind of reflecting on the importance of some of those intangible things, not necessarily everything that we've been talking about, the content, the discussions, but the intangible parts of the environment. And he followed that up with, and this I'll just leave you with, a really thought-provoking blog on, I think it's titled, Why Logically Online Learning is Superior to -to Face-to-Face. So he makes what appears to be a logical argument that face-to-face learning is one modality. It has to be in the same time, the same place. So it's restricted in that way. Whereas online learning can be both synchronous, like Mm face-to-face, as well as asynchronous. So logically, we're already making a case that online learning must be better because it can be both. And he's tangling with those ideas to kind of help us figure out what's really important in a learning Mm -hmm. environment and what are the affordances and challenges of each of those environments. Really fun to think about. Absolutely. And so important to reflect on, really important to reflect on it as well as we're moving forward. So thank you for sharing. That's a really wonderful resource. Well, Barbara, thank you very much for sharing your insights and your experience and tips on blended and online teaching and learning. This is really important topic and I really appreciate you coming to speak to me. My pleasure.